All right, if you've got a Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 1. We've finished up uh, Advent. We've gone through the Christmas season. Um, we're going to get back in Mark in a couple of weeks, but for the next two weeks, uh, we're going to spend some time in Colossians, uh, kind of taking a moment to, um, I guess, examine where we're at spiritually and see where we need to be going spiritually. You know, the, the New Year's a time when everyone likes to make these New Year resolutions. I'm going to uh, lose weight. I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Uh, I've never been one to, to, to make a bunch of resolutions, um, but... I do think this is a good time for us to just look at what the Bible says that um, the resolutions or, or the pursuit or the goal of the believer should be. And so we're going to do that for the next two weeks. We're going to take this one passage, split it up into two weeks, uh, and there's a lot in here about kind of who we are to be and what we are to be chasing or doing as believers. What's the goal of our faith? When it comes to the kind of practically uh, living out our faith, what does that look like? What are some things that we should be pursuing or some goals that we should have or some resolutions, I guess, that you could even say that we could have? Let's start in verse uh, 9. We'll read through verse uh, 14 of Colossians chapter 1. Before we read the passage, Paul is writing to a group of Christians in uh, Colossae, uh, this church here in this region, in this town. Uh, he starts off in verses 3 through 8. He's talking about how he has heard of their faith. He has heard of how they've accepted Jesus and how that has been changing and shaping their life. And then in verse 9, he says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You now and thank You for this time that You have given us. God, we thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You that You have not left us just floating off in the, in the wilderness or God in space, just wondering what we are to do next. But God, You have given us Your will. You have given us Your direction. You have given us Your Word. God, I pray that You would bless this time. Father God, I pray that Your Word and Your Spirit would speak louder to our hearts and our minds, God, than my voice ever could. And Father God, I pray that we would, uh, during this time, God, we would just be confronted uh, with Your greatness, with Your love, and with Your grace. So in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so we read all those verses, but today we're just going to focus on verse 9 and the first half of verse 10. And what we're going to see uh, in this is uh, Paul's, uh, the goals for the believer. So verse 9, it says, And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now understand, 
Paul did not start this church. Most of the churches that Paul writes his letters to, Paul started while he was on his missionary journeys. As Paul would, uh, went on his missionary journeys, he would go to a town, he would begin to preach the Bible, he would begin to preach the gospel uh, in the synagogues, he would begin to reach out, people began to get saved, they would start up a church. Paul would be there for a few years as that church uh, began to find its legs and get started. They would set up a pastor there, then Paul would go to the next town. Colossae, uh, or the book of Colossians, the Colossae, the region here, Paul did not start this church. In verse 7, it tells us that it was started by a man named Epaphras, uh, who Paul calls a beloved fellow servant. He is uh, someone who Paul has somewhere met on his uh, journey with, with Christ. He has met as he had been ministering to churches, as he had been going out on these missionary journeys. And Epaphras, that he had come along this region, had begun sharing the gospel, and God used him to start this church. And so Paul is writing to this group of believers that he does not know. He is writing to this group of believers that he does not have any uh, personal relationship with. But he writes them and he says, look, since I've heard of your faith, since I've heard of how Jesus has changed your life, since I've heard of the things that you have been doing, understand that I have not ceased praying for you. I have not stopped. We have been consistently praying for you that God would be at work in your life and that God would be leading you in a certain direction. As Paul is praying for these group of believers, the fact that he does not know them, the fact that he is offering this encouragement, tells us that this is not just a prayer for a specific group because of what they're going through, but this is something that we can all take for ourselves. That as Paul is saying, look, I don't know you, but I know that you know Jesus. I don't know you, but I know that you're a Christian. Because you're a Christian, this is important for your life. What I've been praying for you, what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to share with you, because you know Jesus, this is valuable for you to understand. This is the direction you need to be going. These are goals that you should be pursuing as a believer. So what we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks is what our goals are as a believer. What does it look like to be a Christian? Kind of what should we be aiming towards? So Paul starts off in, in verse 9, he says, or he says, he's been praying for them, and then he continues on, excuse me, he says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His, that meaning God, the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's prayer is centered around them understanding God's will. Paul's prayer is centered around them understanding God's will for their lives. Now, I know that that can be a, a daunting thing or a difficult thing to, to talk about or to think about. What is God's will? A lot of times we look at that and we're thinking of jobs, or schools, or marriage, or these, these situations or these uh, uh, questions come up into our life. We're like, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do here? How am I supposed to respond in this situation? What decision am I supposed to make? Well, what we're going to see here is oftentimes when we look at God's will, our thought is about ourselves. What am I going to do? What happens next for me? What is my decision here? When reality, most of the time in God's Word, we see God's will being more about Him. And it's about us knowing Him more and, and, and trusting Him more and obeying Him more. In fact, God's will is not as much about having our questions answered as it is about knowing Him. 
Us asking God what His will for our life is is not about having the roadmap for our life mapped out so we get to avoid all the potholes and all the difficult times. We get to know what's coming around every curve and every bend. Knowing God's will is about us being close to God. Knowing God's will is not about having all of our questions answered, but it's about being close uh, to the one who is in control, being close to the one who is good, being close to the one who loves us. Now, when he talks about the knowledge of God's will in verse 9, well, so we're going to look at a couple of things about God's will. So first thing is God's will is knowable. God's will is knowable. So when he talks about the knowledge of God's will in verse 9, that word knowledge in the Greek literally means precise and correct knowledge. Here's what that means for us. As Paul is using this, very, this word very specifically, he says the knowledge of God's will it is precise and it is correct. That God does not uh, sit up and get some kind of cosmic joy out of watching us kind of uh, trying to guess this way that way what God's will is, or us fretting, or, or being concerned about what God's will is, or us uh, being panicked about are we making a good decision, or a bad decision, a good choice, or a bad choice. But God's will, God, the knowledge of God's will is a knowable thing. It is not guessing. It is not vague. God wants us to be close to Him. God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to walk with Him. God wants us to follow Him. God wants us to do things that glorify Him and honor Him. And He's not a trickster up in the sky trying to make this difficult. In fact, most of what God wants us to do and who He wants us to be, He has already told us. So that leads us to our next point. So first, we know that God's will is knowable. Second, we know God's will by knowing God's Word. Now understand this. When you read through the New Testament, and you see uh, typically Paul talking about the will of God. He uses it in two ways. One, he talks about how he is an apostle by the will of God. uh, Or in Acts, it talks about how uh, they went to a certain region by the will of God. But outside of that, the will of God always refers to obedience to God's Word. The will of God always refers to how we are living, how we are doing, obeying the truth that God has given us. How are we living out our obedience and our morality in in the face of God's commandment? Let me give you some verses. They're they're on your sheets and they should also be on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality. So there, Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica says, you want to know God's will for your life? That you be sanctified. That you are growing in your walk with Christ. That you are looking less like you did as a lost person and more like Jesus. That's sanctification. Sanctification is that process where we are going from sinning less to trusting Jesus more. Where we are being changed and shaped in our faith and in our actions. So Paul says, you want to know God's will? It's your sanctification. And more specifically, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality right there in the Greek is the word poinonia. It's kind of a a big, uh, all-encompassing word that means everything from uh, lust to pornography to sex outside of marriage to adultery. It kind of covers the whole gamut. So he says, be pure in your lifestyle. That's God's will for your life, that you are are pure in your uh, sexuality, that you are sexually pure. This is God's will for your life. All right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. 
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what's the will of God for your life? That you rejoice always. No matter your circumstances, no matter your situations, you find your joy, you find your hope, you find your purpose in Christ, and you rejoice always. Uh, that we pray without ceasing, that we are constantly going to God, we are trusting God, we are bringing our requests, we are bringing our weaknesses, we are laying our lives before God, trusting His leadership, trusting His authority. And that we give thanks in all circumstances, that no matter what is going on in our life, we are thankful that God is in control, thankful that God is good, and thankful that God loves us. This is God's will for your life. 1 Peter 2.15 For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So what is God's will for your life? That by living a life of obedience to God, by living a life of trusting God and following God and obeying God, you are making a declaration to other people that our God is good. That people who question our God, that people that question His greatness or His goodness, that our lifestyle are trusting Him even in the face of difficulties, even in the face of persecutions, even in the face of hard times, God is magnified and God is glorified. And our lives show that God is great. This is God's will for your life. I'm telling you, when you look in the New Testament and you look up the will of God, this is what God talks about. Not what are the the, the big choices that I have to make in my life. Now, we're going to look at that in a second because I think that God does care about those. But ultimately, when God talks about His will and His word, it's about how we live in relationship to Him. Are we trusting Him? Are we obeying Him? Are we following Him? Have we surrendered our lives to Him? How are we living our lives in relationship to God? When it comes to God's concern about God's will, that's what God wants for our lives. God wants us to love Him, to trust Him, and to follow Him, and let that impact the world around us. In fact, anywhere that the word that the Bible has already spoken or that God has spoken, that is God's will. No questions asked. Don't even have to pray about it. So, if you're in a situation, you've got a decision to make, and if you tell the truth, it's gonna, maybe it's going to make an awkward situation for you, and telling a little white lie will make it get better or make it easier for you. Well, guess what? The Bible said, thou shalt not lie. God's will is that you tell the truth regardless of the consequences. That's God's will for your life. Maybe you're having difficulties in your marriage. You're thinking, you know what? Maybe I should just get out. Maybe it'd be easier for us just to end it. It's been tough. You know what? Micah says that God hates divorce. The New Testament talks about there's only a couple of reasons for divorce. But even in those, God's uh, plan is for forgiveness. God's plan is for reconciliation. So what is God's will? God's will is that you work on your marriage. God's will is that you trust Him, that you forgive each other. That's God's will. What do you do if you or what do you do if you have a situation where, where someone has hurt you and they have wronged you and you are hurt by them? What is God's will for your life? Ephesians 4:32 tells us that, that it's God's will that we forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. God's will is that you forgive. If God's word has already spoken on it, that is God's will. You can rest in that. You can trust in that. You can stand on that. God has already told us, and the Bible tells us, that God does not change, and His Word is unchanging. So if God has said it, God has said it, and it's done, and it's settled. And what God has said, that is His will. So we know God's will by knowing God's Word. Next, we know God's will by knowing God's heart. So this is where we're going to talk about, kind of when we have those decisions, well, what about things that that the Bible does not talk about? 
When I was praying about marrying Jessica, there's not a verse that says, uh, Cam, thou shalt marry Jessica. When we were praying about having kids, there's no verse that says, thou shalt have one kid or three kids or ten kids. I don't think we're having ten kids. But there's no verse that says that. There's no verse that, that told me, uh, Cam, come to, to Corning, Arkansas, to Calvary Baptist Church. That verse is just not in the Bible. So, so how do we make these decisions? How do, we, how do we handle these decisions where God has not specifically uh, spoken to it? We know God's heart, or we strive to know God's heart. So how do we know God's heart? One, know His Word. I know we just talked about this. I know it's, it's a little repetitious, but it cannot be overemphasized. Understand, so many things that God, that we might run into our life, God in some form has spoken about already. If you're looking about who to date or who to marry, guess what? If they don't know Jesus, the Bible says don't do it. The Bible says as believers, we are supposed to be bound together with other believers. So that means if you're a Christian, don't date, don't marry people who aren't Christians. That's God's will. If you're looking for a job and there's an opportunity, but it's a job where maybe you're defrauding people or your boss is encouraging you to lie, or that's kind of what the, the company is built on, then the Bible's already spoken to that. So we know not to do that. We know that if you go to Proverbs, the, the Bible talks about a lot in that book of wisdom about um, getting into to really bad debt. So there's wisdom there in the Bible that tells us don't get into huge amounts of debts that you can't afford. Be wise about this, that, that God has already spoken. So we have to know God's Word. If we're going to know God's heart, if we're going to know the things that please God, that glorify God, that honor God, we have to know God's Word. I know I say this almost every Sunday, but it needs to be said ten times a Sunday that we have to be in God's Word. This is how God speaks. This is how God has spoken. This is how God will always speak. It's through His Word. So how do we know God's heart? First, we know His Word. Second, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. He says that the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we understand that, that part of the, the understanding of God's will, the, the, the knowledge of God's will is, is spiritual in nature. Now, as Christians, we have all been given the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians, that when we are saved, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit as a seal. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. He lives within us. And the Holy Spirit has a, a few specific purposes. His purpose is to lead us closer to Jesus. His purpose is to lead us into all truth. And His purpose is to, to guide and direct us as we live our lives. In John 16, verses 13 through 14, Jesus is talking to His disciples before He goes to the cross, and He says this. He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and discernment for the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit draws us closer and moves us closer to Jesus. That is the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. He is moving us closer to the heart of God. He is moving us closer to Jesus. He is moving us closer to knowing and trusting and loving God more. And so as Christians, as Christians, the Holy Spirit will 
lead us and guide us in directions and decisions to make. So as we pray for wisdom, as we pray for discernment, as you're making a a decision about a job, or or maybe you're praying about land to buy or a house to build, or you're praying about any number of things, and you're saying, what is the best decision here? God uses His Spirit that He has placed within us to, to lead and guide and give us wisdom and direction in these things. And so, so part of making these decisions, part of knowing God's will, is trusting in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now understand, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will always lead us in the truth and always lead us to God. So the Holy Spirit is not going to lead us anywhere that the Bible has not already uh, uh, in some way spoken. He will not lead us in a different direction uh, than what the Bible has said. So, and now I know pastors that this has happened to. Someone will come to them and say, you know what, I think God is leaving me or, or leading me uh, to leave my spouse. Well, God's not doing that. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead us anywhere that the Bible has not, or that, that is opposite to what the Bible has already said. I think that God is leading me to, uh, to quit my job and just stay at home and, and live off the government and, and not work. Not that I'm not able, just because I don't want to. Well, the Bible says if we don't provide for our families, then we're worse than a, a pagan. So that's, the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you there. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead you anywhere that the Bible... Um, or opposite of what God has already said. The Holy Spirit will always lead us closer to the will, the, the, the person, the heart of God, which we know through His Word. All right, next. Draw close to God and let Him change your desires. So we know God's will by His Word. We know God's will by following the Holy Spirit, or know God's heart. And we know God's heart by letting Him change our desires and to change our hearts. So as we draw closer to God, here's here's the great thing about Christianity. And it goes back to that verse we talked about, God's will for our life is our sanctification. The closer we draw to God, the, the, you know, James gives us a promise that if we draw near to God, then He will draw near to us. So if you want to open up your Bible and study your Bible, if you want to uh, spend time in prayer, if you are a believer, God hears you. God is not distant from you. God wants to respond to you. He wants to be close to you. So as we draw closer to God, God is in turn drawing closer to us. And as we get closer to God, God does a number of things. He reveals sin into our life, or reveals sin that is already in our life so that we can confess it, so that we can deal with it, so that we can wrestle with it. And as we closer to God, He also begins to change us and shape us so that we love the things that He loves and we hate the things that He hates. And and we are more and more uh, lining up into His image, into His character, into His truth. God is changing our hearts. He is changing our minds. He is changing the things that we love and the things that we desire. The closer we get to God, the more God changes our minds and our hearts. Let me give you a couple of verses. Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we know God's will? By our minds being transformed. How are our minds transformed? (laughs) By the Word of God. 
Our minds are transformed when we fill it with truth. Our minds are transformed as we learn more about who God is. Look, I know we're going to get to this next week, but drop down to the rest of verse 10. He says, uh, or to verse 10, we'll get there in a second. But he says, To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know how our mind is transformed? We increase in the knowledge of God. We understand who God is. We understand what God loves. We understand that, that, that God is love, that God is gracious, that God is merciful, that God is perfect, that God is holy, that God is just, that God is wrathful, that God is, is everything that God is. And the bigger and the greater we see God, the more we learn of God, it draws us closer to Him. It always, always does. So our mind is transformed the closer or the more time we spend with God in His Word and in prayer. All right, Psalm 37, 3 through 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So this is following God, trusting God, walking with God, doing the things that God has called us to do. Verse 3. So verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. So not only does God change our, our minds, but as we spend time closer to God, as we are befriending faithfulness, as the psalmist says, we are drawn closer to Jesus and God begins to change our hearts so that He gives us the desires of our hearts. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, when He is our passion, when He is our pursuit, when He is our hope, when He is our joy, He begins to shape and change our desires so that He can then give us the desires of our hearts. Notice the, the, the precursor of that is befriending faithfulness and trusting God and delighting ourselves in the Lord. We're not promised that God will give us the desires of our hearts if our desires are selfish. If my desires are what well, I want to spend on me, if my desires are is money so that I can have a comfortable life or money so I can, I can get stuff for myself, or if my desires are selfish, or if my desires are sinful in some other capacity... The promise here is not God's going to give you those. The promise here is when you love God, when you're trusting God, when He is the one that you want above all else, He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, let me try to kind of give some, I guess, more practical things about what this looks like. When I talk about God changing our hearts, There was a time when I was a youth minister. I, uh, I worked solely with students in the church. And there was a time when I enjoyed it. I enjoyed spending time with the kids. I enjoyed uh, just having the, 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 the time going on mission trips with them, going on camp with them. But then there came a time in my life where God began to change my heart to where that's not what I desired anymore. My desire for youth ministry faded almost completely, and I began to get a desire more for the church. It's not because of anything else in my life. It's not because I decided that I don't like kids anymore. It's because God was at work in my heart and God changed the desires of my heart so that He can move me from youth ministry to move me to, to giving me a desire to pastor a church. Now understand, before I even accepted a call in the ministry, I was an introvert. I hated being in front of people. I always stood outside of the group because I didn't want anyone to talk to me. So moving from that to moving to standing in, in, a, in a pulpit three times a week has been a work of God changing and shaping my heart over time as I've drawn closer to Him. Amen. That's how God has showed me His will for me in my life by me drawing closer to Him and then Him changing the desires of my heart. 
Now, once again, the desires of my heart are always going to be moved towards the direction of God. If the desires of my heart are moving away from my family or moving away from holiness or moving away from obedience, then I'm not delighting myself in the law of the Lord. I'm not loving God more. I'm loving God less. But when I'm drawing closer to God, then God shapes my heart and changes my desires to move me closer to Him. When God started putting me in places of leadership, whether it's leading Sunday school or small groups, that was never anything that I desired on my own. But it's something that God did and God worked and God shaped my heart. And I believe that's what God does for us. I believe as we pursue God, God begins to shape and move our hearts to move us where He wants us to be. God gives us those desires to put us to places where He wants us. I believe that's one way God's will works is He shapes the the desires of our heart. I also believe with the, in reference to the, the verse in, in Romans 12 too, about being transformed by the renewing of our mind, I believe that God has given us the ability to think. I believe that God has given us the ability to make decisions. I believe that God has given us the ability to weigh out right and wrong, good and bad. And, and when we are trusting God and following God and God is shaping us and God is King and Lord of our life, sometimes He changes our desires. I believe sometimes God just gives us the, the ability to make a decision and we get to choose. And as we are walking with God, with the Holy Spirit in our life, with our mind being renewed, we have the ability to choose a way that might glorify God more. Or sometimes it, it doesn't... I'm not going to say it doesn't matter because that's a little bit too flippant, but let's just throw out a scenario. Say you're going to college. You have a chance to go to uh, Arkansas State or, or Arkansas. Those are your two options. Let's say they're both wherever you're living at. They're at equal distance from where you live. So let's take that out of the equation. And you're praying, God, where should I go? Let's say you got a full ride to both. So we're taking money out of the equation. And it's just, God, what is your will? Well, can you walk with God at both places? Theoretically, Yes. Can you be used for God in ministry in both places? Yes. Can you make friends at both? Anything that you can do for God, to glorify God, to expand the kingdom, you can do at both places. Now, I believe that we pray for wisdom. I believe we pray for insight. But at some point, we've got to make a decision. And sometimes, whether we go to Arkansas or whether we go to Arkansas State, God can be glorified either way. I believe God gives us the freedom to make that decision. God has transformed our minds. God has transformed our hearts. God has given us the ability to think, to make decisions. And sometimes following God's will means we just have to make decisions because God has given us the ability and the freedom to do so. Because He has renewed our mind, because He has renewed our hearts. All right. Now, let me just say this too. A lot of times, or not a lot of times, I've seen sometimes where, sometimes I've seen pastors over-spiritualize the knowledge or the will of God and make some really bad decisions. I can name two churches right now off the top of my head who have a tough time doing ministry because they are in massive amounts of debt. Because they made unwise decisions. Now, they, they stood in front of the pulpit. They said, this is God's will for our church. And they made really bad decisions that have negatively impacted their churches for the last probably five to ten years. God has given us the ability to make wise decisions. Sometimes we can try to remove wisdom just so we can make things seem spiritual and say, this is God's will. 
remember, God's will is also that we be wise. God's will is also that we be smart. God's will is also that we can make wise decisions. The book of Proverbs is all about being wise. Making wise decisions. Making wise choices. So when we talk about the will of God, understand when I talk about that, that sometimes God gives us the ability to make decisions, those decisions are always influenced by what God has already spoken about in His Word. There's no verse that told me to marry Jessica. But as I looked at Jessica uh, as someone who, who was a Christian, as someone who uh, loved Jesus, as someone who was uh, open to learning more about God, that she was not just uh, stuck in her ways, that, that she knew that she needed to, uh, that she wanted to learn more about God, learn more about His Word. Those were things I saw as valuable. Those were things that I thought lined up with the Word of God. So I had to make a decision. Am I going to marry Jessica or not? Those are some of the things that helped me make that decision. Because there's no verse that says, marry Jessica. And as much as I might want to spiritualize it and say, uh, this is God's will, I believe it was God's will, but at the same time I had to make a wise decision. So sometimes that comes into living out and knowing God's will. All right, let me finish really fast. Verse 10, it says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Knowing God's will means understanding the purpose for knowing God's will. So as there means this is the purpose for knowing God's will. This is why he's praying that these people know God's will. It's not so that life is easier. It's not so that they get what they want. The purpose of knowing God's will is that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. We strive to know God's will so that we can live in a way that glorifies and honors God. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to live your life with the goal of pleasing and glorifying God. The goal of our life is to live a life that says God is great. The goal of our life is to live a life that says God is magnificent. That God is worthy. That God is the greatest thing in my life. That the gospel, that what Jesus Christ has done for me is the greatest gift that I've been shown. And without that, without Him, I have nothing. The purpose of knowing God's will is so that we can live out this this great gift that we have been given, so that we can be sanctified, so that we can mature in our faith, so that we can be changed from who we are, who, who we were, to who God wants us to be. Knowing God's will, once again, is not knowing about every pothole that comes in our life or even every decision that we have to make. But knowing God's will is about who we are in the light of who God is and who God wants us to be. This means that our focus is not on ourselves, but on Him. John Piper is a pastor, has a a great saying that says, I'm most satisfied when God is most glorified. That in my life, I'm most satisfied, I'm at most peace, I'm at most joy, I'm at most contentment when God is most glorified and magnified in my life. You know the purpose of knowing God's will according to Paul, according to the Bible, according to God? The purpose of knowing God's will is so that we can live lives that glorify and magnify Him. So that we can live lives that show that He is worthy. So that we can live lives that show that He is great. So that we can live lives that tell the world around us that our God is awesome. 
That is the purpose of knowing God's will. That is the purpose of, of, of drawing closer to God. That is the purpose of us in our sanctification and rejoicing and praying without ceasing and giving thanks always. That is the purpose so that we can tell the world around us that our God is good. God's will is knowable because God has given us His will through His Word. God's will is knowable because God has given us the Holy Spirit to live within us. God's will is knowable because God has or is at work in our hearts and our minds, shaping us and changing us and drawing us closer to who He is. And God's will is noble because God wants us to tell the world around us how great He is. Now we're going to get to this next week too, but this is how we're going to close out. Look at verses uh, 12 and 13, or 12 through 14. We talk about knowing God's will. When we talk about uh, the purpose of knowing God's will, this is what it all stems from. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Why do we want to know God's will? Why do we want to live in a way that glorifies God? Because He has transferred us from the domain of darkness into light. Because He has taken us from death to life. Because He sent His Son to die for us so that we might have life. We strive to know God's will. We strive to live in a way that glorifies God. Because God has loved us more than anyone else ever could. And God has loved us by sending His Son to die on the cross for you and for me. So we offer Him our lives and we say, God, You're my King. You're in control. You are God. You are who I want. My life is Yours. What You've done for me, I can never repay. And so in love and in thankfulness and in gratitude and in worship, I give You control. I give You my life. Let me tell the world how great You are. As Paul writes to this group of Christians, he says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you know God's will. I'm praying you know God's will so that you can live a life that tells the world around you how awesome your God is. As believers, as we finish out 2018 and we move into 2019, how do our lives do at showing the world around us how great God is? That's God's will for our life. That we are living lives that tell the world around us how great He is. Do our lives do that? Do our reactions do that when we get angry or frustrated? Does our uh, character do that when we're tested? Does our morality do that in the words that we use or, or the things that we do or the places that we go or the things that we look at? How does our life show the world around us that our God is good? The end of the year, moving to the New Year, is a great time for reflection on who we have been, and it is a good time of looking to who we want to be. As Calvary Baptist Church, my prayer for us this year is the same as Paul's prayer in Colossians, is that we would be a people who know God's will so that we can show the world around us how great He is. That's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for my family. That's my prayer for this church in 2019. Is that what you want?
It's what Paul wants. It's what God wants. Is that what we want? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for your word. Father God, we thank you for the encouragement and the challenge from Paul about knowing your will for the purpose of proclaiming your greatness. Father God, I pray for myself. Father God, that, that, that you would show me the areas in my life, God, that don't show your greatness. And God, that you would show me the areas of my life that need to change, that need to mature, that need to be different, so that I can show the world around me that you're great and that you're awesome. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room, God, that they might have the same desire, God, to say, God, whatever it is in my life that might not look like you, show it to me so it can change, so that I can show the world around me how great my God is. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who does not know you, God, that you're not their God yet. Father God, I pray that this morning they would have, you would have been prompting on their heart, God, showing them their need for you. And God, I pray that this morning, God, that, that their lives might change. And Father God, that they might place their faith and trust in you. Father God, I pray that as we have this time of response, God, I pray that you be glorified. I pray that you be magnified. And I pray, God, that you would have the freedom to work in our hearts and our lives, and that we would respond in obedience. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.